0: We are in a series right now that is called Allegiance, Living for the Kingdom of God. And the title of today's sermon is Holiness and Politics. Now you may be thinking, holiness, politics. How in the world do those two ideas go together? Well, on one hand, both holiness and politics can make us uncomfortable. I mean, politics is so divisive. It's messy, and if you're in a conversation with someone and you want it to be a peaceful, encouraging conversation, it's probably wise to not talk about politics. But holiness also can make people uncomfortable, especially when we understand our sinfulness in light of God's holiness. So we're talking today about holiness and politics, and the driving question behind today's sermon is this. When our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God— how do we view and handle politics? When I have primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, how do we view and handle politics? Now, this is a topic that has so many landmines in it. You almost cannot talk about politics without stepping on someone's toes. And, uh, and if you are coming here this morning, and you hear this topic, and you're sitting here hoping, you know, I hope that Pastor Brandon endorses, you know, some political candidate or, or some certain political party. You're going to be disappointed because that's not what I'm seeking to do here this morning. But if our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is, is characterized by holiness, then it's a big deal in terms of how we view and handle politics. So that's what we're talking about today. If you're following along in the Bible, I invite you to turn in it to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua 5. And leading up to this passage in the book of Joshua, we see that God has been promising for many centuries that he will lead the people of Israel into a land of their own, known as the promised land. And Moses had been a leader of Israel for many decades. But after Moses passed away, he appointed a young man named Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. And, I mean, things were going really, really well. God had laid out a plan for how Israel would cross the Jordan River. And the first city they would conquer would be Jericho. I mean, the people of Israel were doing everything right. Joshua was doing everything right. I mean, it was one of those beautiful and rare times in Israel's history when all the people of Israel were united under God's kingship. It was very evident that God had his hand of favor upon Israel. Now in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is approaching the city of Jericho, just as God had instructed him to do. But then he received quite the surprise. I invite you to follow along as I read for us Joshua 5, picking up in verse 13. It says that when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So the passage starts out, Joshua is heading toward Jericho. It says he, he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, there was a shocking image in front of him. It was a man who had suddenly appeared, and this man was a warrior with a drawn sword. Now, this is not something you take lightly. You take this very seriously when you see a warrior wielding a sword. And so Joshua asks the logical question, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Whose side are you on? And the man's answer was shocking as well. He said, no. I mean, it wasn't a yes or no question. It was, are you for us or are you for them? Are you, whose side are you on? And he answered, no. But as the commander of the Lord's army, now I have come. It is quickly evident this is no ordinary man. We see that from Joshua's response. He said, it says that Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. It's not something you do with an ordinary person. I mean, Joshua knew the Ten Commandments. He knew the Second Commandment says, you shall not worship anyone except for God. Because if you worship anything else besides God, that is idolatry. Yet here we have Joshua bowing down in worship to this man on the road by Jericho. And Joshua said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So this is shocking as well. Joshua, just a moment before, had been fully in charge. And now he is fully surrendering to this man. And then it says, The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, if you were a Jew, think about where would your mind immediately jump when you hear these words that this man spoke to Joshua. Take off your your sandals. the the, The ground you're standing on is holy. If you were a Jew, your mind would immediately jump to Exodus chapter 3. Because back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses out in the wilderness had an encounter with God. It came through a burning bush. There was this bush that was on fire and the fire did not go out. And the voice came out of the bush speaking to Moses, saying to Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. Now compare that to Joshua chapter 5. That was the voice of God in Exodus 3, Joshua 5. This man said, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. So it's very clear this man who Joshua encountered with that drawn sword was not merely a human. This was what is called a theophany. It was a a visible, physical manifestation of the holy God. This was God taking on a temporary human form. And I want to go back now to God's response to Joshua. Joshua asked him, whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? And the man said, "No." Again, that was that. that was, this was not a yes or no question that Joshua was asking. Whose side are you on? He said, "No." It's essentially neither one, and that points to the fact that either Joshua asked the wrong question, or he gave an insufficient set of options for which to answer it. The answer: Whose side are you on? Neither one. And so that begs the question of whose side is God on? If God's not taking sides here, especially when you have Israel as part of the story where it's very clear that God was guiding Israel and Joshua and what they're doing, If, if God's not taking sides even here, whose side is God on? Well, God, as we look throughout Scripture and even here in this passage, God is on God's side. First and foremost, God's allegiance is to himself. I think of Pastor Tony Evans who has said that Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. That's what it means to be master and Lord and king. He came to take over. Similarly, back in the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, uh, during that war, was asked, if you think that God is on your side. Abraham Lincoln wisely responded, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. You know, Abraham Lincoln had it exactly correct. It's not a matter of having God on our side. It's a matter of us being on God's side. Because God is holy. He is absolutely perfect in everything he is, everything he says, everything he does. He's set apart from everything else in this universe. And God operates According to his own value system, based on his own character, for his own glory. Let me say that again. God operates. Everything he does is based on his own value system, based on his own character, for his own glory. He is holy. He's set apart from everything else. He is the standard for everything that is true and everything that is good. He is holy above everything else. And that's why he said to Joshua, you know what? I'm not on their side and I'm not on your side either. The question, Joshua, is whether you are on my side. Therefore, take off your sandals because the, f- the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Now, one of the things as we look at holiness throughout the Bible is that God's holiness reveals the depravity of everything else. The depravity of everything else. God's holiness is kind of like a light. Imagine you're in a really dark space, a dark room. It's dark outside, something like that. You're in a dark place, and all of a sudden, a bright light comes on, illuminating everything. Everything that was shadowy and hidden is now exposed. But it was so dark before, and light is so bright now that that you're you're, you're disoriented. I mean, it's just so brilliant, and everyone there is shouting, turn it off, turn it off. That's what it's like when you encounter God's holiness in its fullness. I think of the prophet Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 6. We see this account of Isaiah being ushered just briefly into the throne room of God to see God in his glory and in his holiness. It says in Isaiah chapter 6 that there were angels flying around the throne of God, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So all of a sudden, Isaiah was devastated by his depravity in a way he'd never experienced before. And you think about that experience of Isaiah? I mean, he is a prophet who clearly has God's stamp of approval on his life. And he's experiencing that, that glimpse of his depravity in light of God's holiness. And how much more that would be true for pretty much everything else in society. And so here's a question for us. Remember, our, our, our title of the sermon is Holiness and Politics. So here's a question What would it look like if the light of God's perfect holiness was shined onto politics? What would that look like if everything in politics that is hidden is brought out into the light? If the motives and the secrets and the backroom deals of politicians were exposed? If every detail of every policy and all different platforms were held up to the holy standard of God? What would that look like? It probably would not be very pretty, would it? I doubt it would. You'd probably be hearing a lot of people saying, Woe is me, I am ruined! Because what was hidden is now brought out into the light. But that's what happens when you shine in the light of God's holiness on anything in our broken world. Especially politics. Because politics, for one, is full of humans. And you, all of us humans have messiness and sin in our lives. Politicians are not exempt to that. Politicians are not holy. Because no one is holy. On top of that, there are dynamics within politics that are frequently very messy. Let me share an example uh, from my dad. My dad was not in politics. My dad was a dentist until he retired just a few years ago. For several years, while my dad was in dentistry, he was on the board for the dental association in his state. And the dentists in that state were seeking to change some legislation in the state that was regulating part of dentistry. They wanted to change it a little bit to improve dentistry in that state. But in order to change the legislation, the legislative body there in the state had to make that change. It wasn't something dentists could do themselves. They needed the assistance of the the state legislature. And so they developed a plan. They they held an event. The, The Dental Association did an event to which they invited one of the state representatives, and they invited him to come to learn about this topic they wanted to have changed in the legislature. Now, to encourage him to come, all the members of the Dental Association were encouraged to contribute to this This politician's campaign fund, give money to him. He came, he learned about it, and then to urge him further to sponsor a bill and shepherd that bill toward passage to change this aspect of dentistry, they were encouraged to donate once again to his campaign fund just to help urge him to sponsor this bill and to help get it passed. Now my dad being on the board and seeing what was happening behind the scenes politically was not impressed. With what he saw. Frankly, I'm not impressed either when I think about this, but I do know that this happens all up and down pretty much all levels of politics. I mean, politics is messy, and we have to understand that special interest groups and corporations have a massive influence over the direction of politics here in America through, through their campaign, uh, contributing to their campaign funds, through donations, through lobbying, we also just have to recognize the fact that political alliances and maneuvering, which are important, I mean, just significant parts of getting legislation passed, those things and that drive to get, to get reelected if you're a politician, all these things affect the stances of politicians and the, the policies that actually get passed. Politics is incredibly messy. And so, as you consider the messiness of politics and the holiness of God... Whose side do you think God is on? Democrats or Republicans? Whose side do you think God is on? Just think about that for a minute. As I think about that question, and as I look in Scripture, even in Joshua chapter 5, as we've been looking at today, I am convinced that God's answer would be the same as the answer he gave to Joshua back in Joshua 5. Whose side are you on? Ours or our adversaries? He said, no. Wrong question." Because the reality is no political party fully represents the kingdom of God. Back in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul, speaking of all humanity, said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Politicians, just like every other human, are sinful. Including Republicans, including Democrats, including Libertarians, including everyone else. All have sinned and all continue to sin. That's what we see when we hold political parties or really any other human entity up to the holiness of God. That everything else falls short. And so the question is, what do we do with politics? I mean, politics is messy. And no political party or even no politician perfectly represents the kingdom of God. So what do we do we do with politics? You know, there are some Christians out there who just kind of throw up their hands saying, well, I mean, we're we're foreigners. We're sojourners and exiles in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we should just step back from politics, just completely leave it alone. That's the holiest option. That's the best godly biblical option is just step back and leave it alone. I admit that is tempting at times. But I don't think that's the most biblical response. Yeah, politics can be very messy. But... I don't believe that's the most biblical response just to completely exempt ourselves from any part of that process, including voting. Because I, I look at the reality that politics and the policies that are um, passed and enforced in our, in our culture have a, have a major influence on people's lives. We are called as Christians to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so part of loving our neighbor as ourselves, part of making the society a place where people can really thrive, is to be involved politically. Including voting wisely, but the way we handle this makes a big difference. And so we need to figure out, especially with an election coming up in November, and you know election cycles are just natural part of our, our process our uh, governmental process here in America, for which we can be thankful to be involved in that. but how do we as kingdom citizens vote? there's a lot that can be said on that, but let me point out one key truth: that voting as kingdom citizens must be based on God's standards in the Bible. Voting as kingdom citizens must be based on God's standards in the Bible. You know, kingdom citizens, we recognize that we must align ourselves with God. It's not a matter of us creating an agenda or creating a a political party or a a position or, or elevating a certain candidate and saying, okay, God, will you come bless this over here? No, our call is to get over on God's side. And God has graciously revealed to us through the Bible the standards of his truth and the standards of who he is and how he expects us to live. And so the way we get over on God's side, remember God is on God's side, the way we get on God's side is by learning what he revealed to us in Scripture and how do we apply that to all all parts of our lives, including in how we vote. And in fact, the same standard of getting on God's side through God's word applied to Joshua as well. Back in Joshua chapter 1, when God commissioned Joshua, God said to him, Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So we see God is teaching Joshua, and he teaches us as well, that submitting to God's teaching in Scripture is the way to get on God's side. That's how you get on the God's side. So back to considering politics and voting. We need to ask ourselves, which candidate better aligns to what God has revealed to us through his word, the Bible? Which candidate better aligns? That's how we make our choice and who to vote for. And this can be a very complex topic. I mean, you need to look through all the different policies and platforms that a candidate supports. I think it's also important to look at their character, look at their trustworthiness. Because holiness is comprehensive. And you think about politicians, their influence in society certainly comes through the platforms and the legislation they support. But politicians also shape society by their character, by how they relate to other people around them. And so so we need to consider the fact that holiness is comprehensive. We need to look at, okay, which candidate on the ballot best aligns with what God has revealed to us through his word. And so if we're to engage in voting, we must choose the best option, even if it doesn't seem like an ideal option. Because the reality is, it's going to be rare, if ever, that a candidate on the, on the ballot perfectly represents the kingdom of God. It's, it's actually quite impossible. So even though we don't have an ideal, perfect candidate out there, if we're going to vote, we need to choose what is the best candidate from our interpretation of Scripture. Now maybe your process for determining that is to make a pro-con list for each candidate on the ballot, going through, okay, you know, all these different policies and platforms, figuring out, okay, does this person align with Scripture on this or not? And you make a pro-con list, and whoever has the most pros and the, the fewest cons is the one you vote for. Now, most likely, as you're weighing through this idea, you have some topics that are weighted more heavily in your mind or as you interpret Scripture than other topics are, so that may influence as well. And for some Christian voters, they have one topic that's them that weighs so strongly that that one topic will be the determining factor on who they vote for. As they interpret scriptures, as they think through the topics, that to- one topic is what determines for them who to vote for. Now the important thing for us, if we're seeking our allegiance to be in the kingdom of God, is to make sure that the choice we make to the best of our ability lines up to, to what is in Scripture, what God has revealed to us, what, who fits that best, even though it may not be a perfect Fit. I have another question for you. This comes actually from Pastor Andy Stanley, and I think it's a really good question for us to consider. It's this, are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? As you process what's happening, as you process politics, are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? That means, are we willing to be Christ followers first, and Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, or whatever else second? Are we willing to prioritize looking at things from a biblical perspective first before we look at them from the perspective of political ideology or from personal priorities? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Even when following Jesus may put a little bit of space or distance between you and your candidate or between you and their platforms or between you and their party. Because isn't that what it means to have our primary allegiance in the kingdom of God? That our faith filter is taking greater precedence in how we interpret things than our political filter. I think about this week. I watched the vice presidential debates. Many of you probably did as well. One of the things that struck me as I was watching that debate between the two vice presidential candidates was how they must support and defend their running mate at all costs. They cannot give an inch on on admitting that they may disagree with something that their running mate does or says. They can't give an inch on saying, you know, my running mate made a mistake there. Or what they did didn't turn out as well as we hoped it would. They can't give an inch on that type of thing. They can't give an inch on saying, you know, the other party, they do have a good point on this. Or they did something good over here. They need to defend their running mate at all costs. I understand that's how politics works. I understand that's how debates work. But the reality is, that's what frequently happens in politics. Many people, including Christians, who are not actively politicians, but it's still easy to fall into that mentality where we defend our favorite candidate or our favorite party at all costs. We defend every single aspect of what they do. And we demonize anyone who may have the gall to disagree with them. On someone going to say, you know what, I don't, I don't like that. I think they did something wrong here. That's, that's the nature of politics in our culture today, unfortunately. And the question is, do we have any room in our politics to acknowledge that, that politicians, even our favorite candidates, or even our favorite parties, are not completely holy? Right, and I hope we do have room for that, because the reality is nothing is holy except for God. And we are not running for vice president We are sojourners. We are exiles in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. So that should give us the freedom to to not take that all or nothing stance when it comes to politics. Because our allegiance is ultimately to Jesus above all else. And so we can and should recognize the complexity of political realities in our culture. Recognizing that each party and each politician is a combination of good and bad, of truth and error, of right and wrong, Now, not every party and not every um, politician has an equal proportion of truth and error. There are differences, and that really should shape how we choose to vote. But the reality is that not everything is is perfect and right with anyone. And so that should give us uh, an appreciation for the complexities, and that should enable us to have nuances in how we view and handle politics. It means that as we're looking at a a candidate, even someone who we support, we can look at them and still say, you know what, on this particular point, I disagree with them. I mean, in our political culture today, that is a revolutionary idea that sounds awfully scary to disagree with someone who you still support. But I think we should have the freedom and even the calling that as we're looking at a political candidate or a partisan platform or an entire party, They were able to say, you know what, I agree with this, 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 and this, and this. But on this and this, from a biblical perspective, I cannot wholeheartedly agree with that. In fact, maybe on this particular issue, I think the other party, the other candidate has a more biblical or more godly stance. As followers of Christ, when we have our primary allegiance to God and his kingdom, we should have that freedom to be able to say that type of thing. And even a calling because we're called to represent God in his holiness. And not everything in politics or even with any particular candidate is truly holy or lines up with God. And so I think as we look at things from this angle of being able to nuance things, I think there's actually a lot more integrity in that than just just taking everything our candidate says or our, our party that we support says and just accepting it all hook, line, and sinker. I think there's more integrity in saying, you know what, I agree with this and this and this, but not with this. But because of these reasons from the Bible, I'm still supporting and voting for this candidate. I think there's a lot more integrity in having that ability to nuance. And I think it's a better representation of God's holiness in the midst of an imperfect world. Now coming back here to Joshua 5, We saw that Joshua went to this man and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. I think it's striking that when we look at the events that happened after that, Israel did go to Jericho, just as God commanded them. And they won the victory. But it was very clear in how that took place, that the battle belonged to the Lord. God said, as the commander of the armies of the Lord, now I have come. It was very clear that it was a supernatural victory in how it played out. And what a great reminder for us, the battle belongs to the Lord. You know, Americans are already voting via mail-in ballot There will be a whole lot more voting that comes up in early November. And for whoever wins that election, whoever wins any election thereafter, we still have that promise. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we can have the confidence that He wins. That's the beauty of having our allegiance in the kingdom of God. And so for us, we can have that confidence. We can have that hope. We still have a responsibility to engage well, wisely, and biblically with the world around us. But as we do so, let's make sure that we don't run roughshod over God's holiness as we engage in politics. Because, you know, politics is messy. But we have a higher calling, a calling to the kingdom of God characterized by holiness. And we get a privilege and opportunity to represent him to the world around us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you give us a hope beyond this world. Our world is messy. There are many, many challenges, many difficulties. Politics is messy But Lord, thank you that we get to live in a place where we get to have a say in what's happening politically. Yeah, we are perhaps one of many, many tens or hundreds of millions who are voting, but still, what a privilege that is. Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom as we're engaged in this process, both us here in this room now, but Christians throughout this country. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us the ability to nuance what's taking place. Give us a passion for your kingdom and for your holiness that enables us to represent you well biblically. And Lord, we thank you that you give us a foundation on which to stand. I mean, all other ground besides you is sinking sand. There are so many things that rock us back and forth. But thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you. Thank you that you make a way through Jesus for us to stand holy and confident in your presence, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. We say thank you.